you today is what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? You know, being guilty and feeling guilty are not the same thing, are they? They are connected. Sometimes they're disconnected. We just read about the, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees in the temple. Guilty of killing a person and have no guilty feelings about it at all. Uh, Taryn and I watched the movie Inside Out uh, a, a little while back. It's, oh, it's a horrible movie. It almost made me cry a few times. It's supposedly a kid's movie, but wow, it's deep. You, you watched it as well? Uh, one of the things I got there is that one of the problems with it is that everyone is just emotional driven and there's, there's no will present in the movie. But one of the things they show is how different people have different emotions ruling them. But they didn't have the whole gamut of emotions and they certainly didn't have guilt and shame. There's a great story. I wasn't going to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. Of a, of a guy goes into a restaurant and says, I'd like, a, I'd like a Coke, please. And the waiter brings him a Coke and he throws it in his face. He says, I'm so sorry. I've just, I'm so sorry. I've got this problem. When I get cold drink, I just throw it at the first person I see. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'm, I'm working on it. Please bring me another one. And the waiter fetches him another one. Wah! The guy says, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going. He goes and he, he gets help and... He, he, he comes back a month later and says, I've been in therapy. Can, can I have a Coke, please? And that guy says, last time you threw it on me. He goes, uh, it, it, please. He fetches him, fetches a can of Coke. Wah! Throws it over him. The guy says, I thought you got it fixed. The guy says, I'm just not guilty about it anymore. <laughs> Good guilt, like all emotions, is a gift from God. Uh, it's meant to point us to our need for forgiveness. Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. We looked at the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, God honors and blesses and praises the poor in spirit, those who know themselves to be spiritually bankrupt, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says, God will fill you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Um, if you have a pen... In your hand. Have you got a pen or a Bible close? If you don't, go home, write this one down. It's on the front of your bulletin as well. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, highlight it. In fact, highlight the whole paragraph. Um, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. That's like the people in the temple there. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And in the context there, it says God is light and if we walk in the light, He will forgive us and purify us. Notice He doesn't say walk in the light so that you are pure. He says walk in the light, warts and all. Walk with God as you are and God will forgive you. And He says this is, this is one of those ironclad guarantees. If you confess to God, He says I forgive you. I set you free from that. Let's start fresh. Let's walk in the light. Let's walk with me. By the way, I thought it very odd that Mark told us all about how he kills plants and then we sang a song about the garden. Um, surprisingly, his garden's quite nice, so his wife must have a good green thumb. Um, I read a 
quote from a a non-Christian psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, who said, if I could convince my patients that they were really forgiven, truly forgiven, 75% of them would never ever see me again. But sometimes we don't really feel forgiven. And when I ask that question, what do you do with your guilt? What I'm really asking is, how do you live with yourself? Let's watch a a movie. Does anyone relate to that movie? Unresolved guilt, as John spoke a little bit earlier, keeps us chained. And it festers into shame and fear and anger. Shame and guilt are related, but they're not the same thing. Shame is, is when guilt, which is I've done wrong, festers and shifts into I am worthless. I am a hopeless case. I am beyond forgiveness. I am beyond anyone. If people knew, they would hate me. Together, shame and guilt drive the engine of fear, of being found out, of being abandoned. And so often we're so afraid of our sins defining us that we we dwell on them and they end up setting our agenda. Isn't it ironic that what you dwell on ends up defining you? People cope with guilt and shame over over their sin in different ways. There's a psychological study where they... They got people to write about a time when, when they'd done something horrible, something they felt guilty about, and then other people to write about something happy, and they got them to put their hands in a bucket of ice water. And those who were feeling guilty at the time, they kept their hand in that freezing cold bucket longer than those who had written about happy stuff. We, we want to pay. We want to pay. Some people respond to their guilt and their shame by rebelling. By attacking those who are close to them. By shifting the blame. By suppressing their emotions. By distracting themselves. Or by confessing to everything. In Zechariah chapter 3, the first reading that John read to us this morning, we see the prophet Jeshua, which is a spelling of the word Joshua, which is basically the name Jesus. But it's not Jesus there. This is Jeshua, the high priest who has returned from exile Back in Jerusalem. This is the man who is meant to intercede for the people on God's behalf. He is the one who is meant to go before God's presence and say, God, forgive these people. He is the, he's meant to be the one that you look at and you go, wow, what a man of God. He's surrounded by majestic angels, perhaps even Jesus himself. And, and, and what do we see? Could you put uh, that Zechariah 3 passage up for us? What do we see? We see Zechariah. Next verse, sorry. Jeshua's clothing. Zechariah is the prophet of sword, by the way. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. Our Bibles are so polite. And that word there is related to words meaning poo, human poo, and vomit. He stands there and also there is the accuser the voice saying how could God let alone others 
enjoy you, love you, want you anywhere near. Revelations 12.10, John says, or Jesus says through John, that this is the same accuser who night and day accuses those who are God's people. You know, this is a picture of us, our sins caked on. This is Jeshua's inside life on display. This is in the vision, Zechariah is seeing him inside out, the way God sees him. Isaiah says in chapter 64 verse 6, we are all like unclean things and, and all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's a great song by Casting Crowns which says filthy rags that stretch and strain to cover filthy stains. I mean, how could Joshua, Jeshua be the high priest of God? How could you and I be God's representatives? You come to a picture like this and it's not unexpected that God does a little bit of rebuking. I mean, look at this bloke. But you know what is unexpected is that the one that God rebukes is not Jeshua. The one that God (laughs) rebukes is the accuser. Because God freely chose to rescue, to forgive To free. And yes, a price has to be paid. And yes, our sins have to be dealt with. And yes, the unholy cannot stand in the midst of the holy. But but that is totally beyond us. There is no way that we can pay off enough. As we saw in the video, this balance of good and bad, always the bad is going to outweigh the good in us. Who's been a Christian the longest here? Eric? Which one weighs more? Just the good? Just the good for Val? Val, you're a better Christian than I am. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about you. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. The good has to outweigh the bad, otherwise we crumble. The good cannot outweigh the bad from us. It does when we're in Jesus Christ. That's the end of my sermon. (laughs) (laughs) But you're exactly right. But with us, as we stand there before God, we are filthy rags. We are covered in them. God defends us. Against the accusations. It's nothing in me. It's no, I've done the right thing. It's no, well done, Jeshua, you've arrived in front of God. It's, you're filthy, mate, but I've snatched you like a stick out of the fire. He gives him new clothes, a a priestly turban. On this turban uh, was written, if you go back to Exodus, holy to the Lord. And God's not saying you're forgiven, but make up for it. Pay a little bit of a cost. I watched a, uh, uh, a documentary on, on Henry Ford. He was a horrible man. His son was running the company ostensibly, decided we need to build some new offices, started digging the foundations. His dad said, what are you doing? You're not doing that. I've got other plans. 
in the sunset final, I'll fill in the hole, I'll fill in this foundation. And, and Henry Ford said, no, you leave that hole there. And every day his son had to walk past this proof that he wasn't good enough for his dad. God doesn't do that to us. He gives us new clothing and then he says, come on, now walk in my ways. Follow me. He, he reappoints Jeshua to the high priesthood. Not that Jeshua is suddenly a perfect priest. Remember, we walk in the light as we are. And, and even after John says we walk in the light, as we read earlier, he says, confess your sins. Jeshua is not the perfect priest. We are not perfect people. But Jeshua and us are symbols of the perfect <coughs> Sometimes not very good symbols, but we are representatives of God's servant. Isn't it good that we've been forgiven? Yes. So why then do we sometimes still feel guilty and ashamed and afraid? Well, possibly in part because we still struggle with that same sin. And we still need to go back to God again and again and again and say, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, as the song says. My one defense, my righteousness, my Lord, how I need you. That's good guilt. But perhaps simultaneously there's bad guilt that Satan twists, that we twist. Guilt that says, I don't really believe. You have or you will forgive me. Matthew 27, we, we saw over there, is the story of Judas who has betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was the, the treasurer. He'd been with Jesus the whole time. He was one of the 12 disciples. Jesus knew from the get-go that, that this was one of them who was going to betray him, who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Matthew 27 shows us Judas overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Bible translation we've got up there says that he was full of remorse. But he saw no hope of forgiveness. He was convinced that he was a lost cause. Those who struggle with guilt and shame can so easily find themselves with Judas. <coughs> Judas took his guilt and he tried to make up for it. He went back, he said, yeah, have the money, I've done the wrong thing. Please, just somehow, if I do this, maybe my, my conscience will, will, will let go of me just a little bit. Remember I said guilt could be a good gift? And I said those uh, people in the temple looked at him and said, they had so seared their consciences, they had no guilt. That, that story of the cocaine, it's possible to get rid of guilt but still have something that you should be guilty about. Judas could not, even throwing the coins back, he was overwhelmed with this guilt. And he went out and he hung himself. Only hanging in the New Testament. Why did he do it? He wasn't the only one of the twelve to betray Jesus. I think it's John chapter 6 where Jesus says, some of you don't believe me. Judas didn't believe Jesus. 
He'd seen Jesus do amazing things. He'd heard Jesus say, I forgive you. He'd heard Jesus say, the kingdom of God is near. He'd heard Jesus say, I'm rising from the dead in three days. But he didn't believe it. He thought that there is a balancing scale happening and when the bad is so bad, there is no way you can ever make up for it. Judas leaves the gospel story a doomed, damned man because he chose not to believe Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. He didn't believe Jesus could save. He didn't believe Jesus could forgive. We don't know if he actually used the word, but in the New Testament, the Judas never calls Jesus God. He calls him Rabbi, Lord, maybe Lord, but not Lord as in Lord. Lord as in Master. If Jesus isn't God, if Jesus isn't the one who forgives and who saves, if if John writing here in one John is telling porcupines that Jesus will forgive us if we confess our sins, then, brothers and sisters, may your guilt tear you to pieces. Because there is nothing in this universe that you can do to make those scales tip the right way. You can't even make them balance. So often, we are... Bowed down with guilt because we don't really believe that God can save us. Yes, he, he can save you, but boy, you don't know about me. I'm a bad one. If he knew, we don't believe he's God. If he knew what I was like. This isn't in my notes, if you don't mind me deviating. Peter was also, I think, I was telling Mark about this at the men's breakfast yesterday. Peter, the one who said, I don't know him. Curses on me or even curses on him if I know him. Peter, this disciple, he was also covered with guilt. I reckon that's one of the reasons we find him keeping himself busy, going fishing. At the end of John. And one of the reasons when somebody says, it's the Lord on the shore, he's the first one out. He's the first one at Jesus going, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm here. Hey, you're brilliant, Jesus. Just sort of, hey, I'm the best. Hey, hey, come on, let me me add to my scale again here, Jesus. Look, I did that. Doesn't mention that at all, but, but I'm here for you. And I love how Jesus just says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. That was Peter full of guilt. The difference between Peter's guilt and Judas's guilt is that Peter, Peter trusted Jesus. Not very well, but he trusted Jesus. If Jesus is right about God's amazing grace, if Zechariah's vision is true, then, then what he saw is for us. We have something to believe in, to live for. We can forgive ourselves. Sometimes we forgive ourselves too easily, like the people in the temple. Sometimes we forgive ourselves too, too slowly. Yes, we're, we're still going to stumble. We still bear the scars of our guilt. But one day, 
those scars will be erased. And one day the only scars that there will be will be those on Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet that will speak for eternity of how much He loves us. If we really believe Jesus, then we've got to know that, that, that no thing we do or say or think or whatever is beyond His forgiveness. No life is beyond Jesus purifying and walking with. Yes. You're preaching in other abstracts. I am. So let's make it concrete. Love to. Give you an example. You're um, you're at one day, hooning around your little master. Yeah. You're running late somewhere. Um, tearing up our street. You knock over and kill one of my boys. That's how old they think. Well, he's out walking the dog. Yeah. Okay. You probably feel guilty for that. How do you Maybe. deal with that guilt? How does that guilt from that fit into what you're saying? That's you a really good question. Go, okay, God's forgiven me. I feel my no. guilt for it. And that, that's what I say also. There's yeah. good guilt and there's bad guilt. Good guilt is, is saying we need to deal with something here. Um, good guilt says... It's to deal with because it's been done. It's been done. And you need to seek forgiveness. And... Yes, there does need to come a point, I think, where you go to God and you say to God, God, I've done this most horrible thing. Uh, Forgive me. David, let's bring it back to to a Bible story. David uh, sat on his roof watching porn, Old Testament style, had an affair, killed the husband. (coughs) Didn't feel bad about it until he was found out. Then he felt terrible. Some of the Psalms speak about how his bones were wasting away. He felt horrible. And then he says, and then I confessed my sins. And some of his Psalms, Psalm 51, create me a clean heart, O God. Forgive me. Then Then I can tell people how good you are. I I, I realize I'm preaching a very abstract sermon here. Um, However, I do want to say that all guilt, if it festers in us, we haven't really believed Jesus when he says that he's forgiven us. Yes, we still bear the scars. And that's what I want to say. We're always going to go, I've done that. That's where I was. That's that's what I did. But I'm not going to let that define me anymore. Guilt from remorse. Big pardon? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think you've got to do that. I, th- I think if, you, if your remorse always stays with guilt, then you don't believe that Jesus can forgive you. And this is what we do. We, we say, Jesus can forgive a lot of stuff, but not what I've done. Not what I've done. <coughs> yes, Pooey clothes, fine. Pooey clothes is easy. Just a new set of clothes, but not what I've done. Thank you very much for that, David. This, this can't just be abstract. And the fact is, we, we will have to deal with guilt. 
Exactly. It's something, you know, and it doesn't have long-lasting consequences. It's something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, and there's well, two things. A lot of things we do affect others. Even, even things that we don't think affect others, they affect us, which affects others. Um, two, two mistakes, ad-libbing here, but two mistakes that we make. We forgive ourselves too quickly. Which is what you're saying. We don't take it seriously. We go, it's not a big deal. This is the, the chief priests in the temple. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We'll, we'll use the money for something good. It's not a big deal. Or else we, we don't forgive ourselves enough. One says, I haven't done anything wrong. 1 John 1 says, if we say we've done nothing wrong, then we're calling God a liar. One says, I've done something wrong and I'm calling God a liar because he says he will forgive me and I don't believe he can. <coughs> Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Uh, we, we burden ourselves. You know what this vision of, of Zechariah's? He's got the accuser there. He doesn't even get a chance to speak, but God rebukes him. We do the job of the accuser. We refuse to believe that Jesus loves us. And it's sometimes hard to tell the voice of Satan and the voice of our conscience and the voice of ourselves and even the voice of the Spirit apart. Uh, we or Satan can bring up our past, our failures, can make us feel unforgiven or unaccepted. And as I said earlier, ironically, the more time we spend focusing on that stuff, the more it starts defining us. And, and it is possible to confuse God's convicting us of sin with being accused of sin. The same behavior or thinking or whatever can bring about both conviction and accusation. See, the difference is that Satan and our own consciences can accuse us to bring us down. Despair, depression, disillusionment, God hates you. This is Satan's big ploy to try and distract us and pull us away from God. The Spirit can, for the same thing, same circumstance, convict us. But, but he doesn't say, and God hates you. He says, that's not who you are. Jesus died for you. You don't have an obligation to your old self. You are God's servant. Turn back to him. Repent. He will forgive you. He still loves you. He won't let you go. And he will keep you and bring you to the place where he is taking you. You see the difference there? One says God hates you. One says God hates what you've done, but he loves you and he wants better for you. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow. And it leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Let's not be too quick to forgive ourselves, but let's not so wallow in guilt that we sink deeper into it. Let's not play in quicksand. A lot of Christians struggle with sin and are weighed down with condemnation. Shame and guilt are powerful prisons, but they don't have to be. It's important for us to ask ourselves, what am I hearing? Is this conviction? Or is it accusation? Have I confessed to God? Do I believe in Him? Or am I... Am I trying to believe in Him? 
when he says that he's making me new, that he's giving me new clothes, a new heart, am I living out of shame and fear and even temptation? What are the facts? Jesus says, if I confess, he forgives me and will purify me. Let's stop. I think as Christians, we are less likely to be among those going, I haven't done anything. Now, I take that back. As Christians, we're very good at kidding ourselves that we haven't done anything. If that's you, you're a filthy sinner. Eric told me to yesterday that I'm, I remind us of how guilty we are before God. Well, this is the time to remind you you're guilty before God. But I don't want to finish there. <laughs> Please don't finish there. Because let's also stop punishing ourselves. Let's stop saying Jesus' death wasn't enough for us. Let's call on God to rebuke Satan. Let's not listen to his lies. Let's hold up the shield of our faith. Extinguish those fiery darts. Let's resist the devil. James says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus said he will be with us. And if he said it, let's believe it. And you know what? Jesus is scary to the devil. We just have to read the Gospels and all the demons and how they screamed. And Jesus is so scary and we go, oh, 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 Satan, I can't do anything against you. If we believe Jesus, we say, Jesus, rebuke him. When our hearts are overwhelmed, when Satan accuses and says, ah, but you have. There's a wonderful apocryphal story of Luther sitting there going, uh, dreaming one night and I don't know if the story is true or not but I think it fits and he dreams of, of Satan listing off all the ways that he's failed God what you might not know is that Luther uh, was a man who often felt very far from God even the night before he defended his 95 theses he felt so away so far from God and Satan in this dream was listening of all the ways that he had failed God. All his secret sins, all of his guilt, all of his shame. And Luther just, at the end of it, he just screamed out and said, Yes! It's true! All of it's true! But right on the bottom of that list, I belong to Jesus. And he has saved me. And he's promised that he's making me his. I'm forgiven. You know, yes, we might fall into sin a hundred times, a hundred and twelve times. But Jesus died even for that. So let's not set our sights on our failures, but on Jesus. Let's not let our past define us, but His past define us. God says uh, a three-stranded cord in Proverbs is not easily broken. One is easily overpowered. Find someone to talk with. Talk with God. Someone who can keep you before God. Who you can trust. Who who can remind you of His love. Because we're good at forgetting. Some of you are getting older and so you're getting better at forgetting. But we're good at forgetting from a very young age. Let's watch some more video. One of the books I read this week 
had a, a prayer made out of Romans 8, which I've adapted slightly. Shall we finish with that? Thank you so much, Father, that you have forgiven me, that you don't condemn any of us here, that you even rebuke those who condemn us. So often, we are the ones doing the condemning. But we know that these feelings of guilt are not valid because we have accepted Jesus' sacrifice. We are turning from our sin. Please help us to turn from our sin and to set our eyes on you. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful and true. Thank you that we don't work on a scale system. Thank you that if if you jumped on our scales, they would break. Because your goodness outweighs everything else. Amen. Thank you.